Ah, boy, that was such a good introduction. I'll marry her again. <laughs> Isn't this wonderful how the, how the Lord brings cycles of things here? Bob Painter was her pastor all those many years ago. Now it's flipped. Now she is Bob Painter's pastor. I mean, I, it's just amazing how, how God has, yeah, he said, praise the Lord, amen. <laughs> She's my pastor too, glory. Well, we're going to start an amazing journey starting today. Um, I, I was really thrilled last week. Uh, how many of you came on up here to see the meet and greet that we had in, in looking to uh, allow all the different people in the, in the, at Highland to come and see? Okay, a few hands. Uh, the rest of you, you already knew where you were going to be, right there where you are. But it was, it was wonderful. As we were uh, in the room and just facilitating, we had a couple of people that were from either other churches in the city, and they're just uh, spying out the land. And some other people that were from other cities that came. And as they went from 13 different tables, one lady came to our table and said, this is amazing. Every one of your Sunday school, oh, Adopt Bible Fellowship, every one is studying a book of the Bible. And she said, I've never been exposed to where every Sunday school class was focusing on a book in the Bible. She goes, this is kind of historic to her. But it sunk into me, and I shared that with the staff um, the following Monday, how easily we've just gone astray. I was on the phone yesterday with my best friend up in Rockford, Illinois, and he's in a season of transition, not knowing where the Lord wants to plant them. And we got into talking about uh, how a lot of teaching is in modern churches. Well, for the two years that they've been in transition up in northern Illinois, they visited numerous churches and he said, bro, my heart is broken. Verses are mentioned in messages, but the word is not expounded upon. They are not focusing on what is written. They're focusing on culture that we're living in today, the latest fads and bringing illustrations. But the word of God is not the primary focus. They're great messages, but the word is not central. I'm thrilled that all throughout this campus, during this gathering, during the next gathering, and the following gathering, the word of God is all throughout the campus. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. The prophet Amos says that in food or days, there will be a famine in the land. Not of food or of bread or water, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And people will wander to and fro throughout the land looking for the word of the Lord. And the prophet says, and failing to find it. We're in those days. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to please turn to the very beginning of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, and I, I wonder if we could do honor to the word of the Lord again, and if you're able to, to please stand. I want to read the first 
four verses and in honor to the word. And after I read the verses, as is my habit for the last 25 years, I blow the shofar, the ram's horn, the biblical trumpet. I do it because God blows the shofar. In fact, the last shofar that's going to be blown, the last trumpet, is when Jesus returns. So who knows? Something majestic, more than we could imagine, might happen after blowing the shofar. But I also believe it creates over God's people a window and an opportunity to hear more from heaven than from the earth. And that's my desire, that we'd all be able to have ears tuned into heaven's frequency to be able to recognize the voice of God when he, in fact, is speaking. Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better. Let's pray. Lord, in these upcoming weeks, we're going to see how much better you are as a mediator, as a high priest, as a savior, as a king. You're so much better because your blood is the most powerful. And Lord, we just want to have ears to be tuned into heaven's frequency throughout these upcoming weeks. Give us ears to hear what is the Holy Spirit saying to the churches and to us personally in these awesome days in which we now live. So Lord, as I simply blow the shofar, I pray you'd create an atmosphere that we could recognize your voice when you, in fact, are speaking. So bless us, Lord. And may the anointing that rests upon your word come and rest upon us this morning. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to, in fact, literally speak to us in your word. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. The Jewish people have had the name Hebrews for a long time, actually going all the way back to the days of Abraham. And even before his name was changed from Avram or Abram to Abraham, he was known as a Hebrew. In fact, that first mention in the scriptures about the term Hebrew is in Genesis 14, 13, when it says, 
Then one who had escaped, referring to someone from Sodom who had escaped before it was destroyed, came and told Abram the Hebrew. It was a title of honor. And we see this in Paul's description of himself in Philippians 3.5 when he says, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So the author of this epistle is writing to Jewish believers who were respectfully called the Hebrews. Now, throughout the rest of this semester, I want to do something special, and it's going to really touch my heart, and I hope it touches the Lord's. I want us to focus on the name of our king, the name of our savior, with the name that he was familiar in all the years he grew up with, which was his Hebrew name, not his Greek name. Isn't it amazing? The Lord grew up all of those years and nobody called him Jesus. But they all called him Yeshua. And that's what I want to use. I'm going to use his Hebrew name. Because for the 26 years that I lived in Israel, it was always mentioned as Yeshua or in Arabic, Yeshua. So let's all say Yeshua together. Yeshua. Action is on the second syllable, not the first. It's not Yeshua or it's not Yeshua. It's Yeshua. Once more, Yeshua. Yes. So we're going to be looking at Yeshua this, this semester. Well, who wrote this epistle? Well, the Hebrews does not actually name an author. So actually, there is no certainty. But Martin Luther suggested that it was Apollos. He was convinced Apollos wrote this book. And then the great theologian Tertullian, he thought for sure it was Barnabas. And others have speculated, perhaps Priscilla or Philip or even the Apostle Paul. But the bottom line is, nobody knows for certain. And obviously, it's going to remain a mystery until we reach heaven. What about the date? Well, the date of authorship is also uncertain. And today, I'm just going to give you an introduction, a background to the book, and then we start in with chapter 1 next week. I like how at the end of the book, obviously the whole epistle is very obviously a Jewish letter. And most of the theologians agree that it was written actually before the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem in 70 AD. And that's significant, and we'll see that later on in some of the chapters. But I like it how at the end of the, of the letter, in chapter 13, verse 24, there's an interesting phrase that says, everyone in Italy sends greetings. A friend of ours, David Pawson, a biblical historian from England, he believes that it was directed to the Jewish believers in the Roman Empire. Because at that time, Emperor Nero was persecuting the Christians severely. Severely. But he was not persecuting the, the Jews yet. So Jewish believers in Yeshua were tempted to compromise their faith and return to formal Judaism in order to save their lives. Well, I'll come back to that a little later. What about the purpose of the book? The purpose of this letter to the Hebrews was to strongly exhort them to remain faithful to Yeshua, who is their Messiah. And five times in this letter, the author 
give strong warnings to those who turn away from the faith. And he reminds them that the sacrificial system in the temple was no longer necessary because Yeshua was God's sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of all the world. And no longer was the sacrifice needed in the temple because he was the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. And his blood covers all sin for all time. And the writer reminds them that they didn't need to have a human high priest anymore because Yeshua is the high priest forever who stands before God on their behalf. So this letter strongly affirms the supremacy of Lord Yeshua and his being the Messiah that was long awaited by the Jewish people. And it explains why the new covenant is far better than the old covenant in Judaism. Once Yeshua died, and after he rose again, believers had access to a better mediator and a better covenant. And that is still true for us today. I like what Hebrews 8 verse 6 says. It reads, but now Jesus, or Yeshua, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Now the book of Hebrews is basically divided into two sections, two major sections. The first section deals with doctrinal issues. So we'll look at those in the first few chapters. And the second section focuses on general practical living. And the letter continually urges the Messianic believers to not go back to Judaism. Don't go back to what you once were when God is calling you to become something you have never been. Don't rely on the former system of worship. So consequently, a major theme throughout the book is expressed in the words better and greater, revealing that Messiah Yeshua is superior to all things. I especially like how, the, how often the phrase, let us, is used in the letter. It occurs 15 times throughout the epistle and eight times in the last section as a buildup to a personal appeal that the writer to the, to the Hebrews uh, expresses to these Jewish believers. And the writer mentions that some of the Hebrews had grown lazy and were neglecting the great salvation that Messiah brought to them. And he writes that they were no longer, quote, holding fast their profession of faith. Some of them had gone backward and returned to religious aspects of Judaism and were in danger of, quote, coming short of the promises. Others, unfortunately, Jewish believers, the first church, were becoming weak. And many were immature in their faith. And the author you can hear his heart. He's in anguish that they should have been teaching others by this time. But they were still dependent on receiving basic teaching themselves. 
So he urged them to grow up spiritually and not to remain as babes. These Hebrews lacked zeal and passion for the Lord. They allowed the cares of the world and the fear of persecution to draw them back to where it was safe, the synagogue. As I mentioned earlier, persecution was terrible toward the Christians at that time, all throughout the Roman Empire, but it had not yet reached the Jews. So the Jewish believers were tempted to trust the synagogue could save their lives. And they could even claim to be going back to the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which was the lineage through which Jesus was born. But you see, the religious leaders, this is one thing about Jewish people. There's a a tendency to remember and be mindful. They knew the Jews that were following Jesus. They knew them. So they set a condition to return to be that they had to publicly deny their faith in Yeshua. So returning to Judaism would mean that they had to renounce their faith in the Messiah, Yeshua. What a dilemma for these early Jewish believers. So the letter was written primarily to the first Jewish believers and against the entire backdrop of persecution against the church. Now, the bottom line truth is that most of our brothers and sisters in the faith worldwide today, as we enjoy the luxury of sitting here and having Danish and coffee and fellowship, most believers in the faith worldwide are being persecuted in some measure for their faith in our king. So we need to pray for them. We need to be interceding for them. At the same time, standing firm in our own faith. We need to commit the scriptures to memory while we still have and are allowed to keep Bibles. And right now, we have some freedoms left, but they're being taken away. And what happens when they're gone? That's why we need to choose to be faithful till the end. Amen. Someone should write a book with that title. Faithful till the end. Uh, We wrote a book last year with that title. (laughs) The warnings given to the Hebrews, they may become very relevant, a whole lot more relevant in the future than they are today, and it may not be long coming. And in these days, the seduction of the world, the evils within cultures, and the drive toward worldly success and pleasure are tempting believers to embrace a religion of humanism and self-love. This is what we're facing today. And this is seducing many of God's people to be drawn away from fervently pursuing and seeking how to know Jesus Yeshua and his Father, which is the essence of eternal life. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that they might know thee, the only true God, 
and Yeshua, the Messiah, whom you have sent. Knowing God is the essence of eternal life. In Matthew 24, 12, Yeshua said this concerning the last days. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Wow. Lawlessness is abounding today. It's abounding. In Proverbs we read, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Look at the shocking increase of rebellion and hatred in America today toward law enforcement, toward officials and government and spiritual leaders. It's intense. My father was in law enforcement. I remember when I saw those video clips in one of the boroughs of New York and they were throwing water on the policemen. How many of you saw those clips? I'll tell you, it was really hard for me to be Christ-like in my attitude toward those kids. Humiliation to our law enforcement, throwing buckets of water on them, squeezing water, and they were doing nothing. <sighs> Friends, I tell you, the foundations are crumbling. In my years of growing up, if I would, when I was the age of those young kids that did that to the police officers, I wouldn't even think about that. In fact, if I thought about it, I'd be fearful that my dad would get a, a mental revelation of what I'm thinking and spank me. Ah, the foundations are crumbling. So what can the righteous do? What can the righteous do? We can fast and we can pray. We can press into God. We can pray and intercede for our leaders and for our fellow Americans. And you know what else we can do? When the foundations are crumbling, we can pray and bless those that are rebellious. Yeah. I'll tell you, this week, the Lord really put it in my heart as I was preparing this message. Right there, he just said, stop. I want you to pray for Antifa. I just heard somebody say, oh my. <laughs> Antifa. Antifa, you know those rebellious people that wear black and hoodies and love to bust windows? The day after our president was inaugurated, they started on a spree of busting windows. They are re rebels to the max. And the Lord said, listen, if my church doesn't pray for these people, nobody else will. The Lord also put into my heart, he said, hey, when was the last time you prayed for the squad? Now, those of you who are not news savvy, the squad is the label that had been given four freshman women in our Congress that have radical ideas, rebellion against a lot of American principles. And I had to confess, man, I, I don't know if I've ever prayed for those four ladies. The Lord said, well, isn't it about time? You see, we've got to step out of our comfort zones. I remember when I challenged, we were living in Haifa, Israel. 
And Netanyahu had just won his first election back in the 90s. And Yasser Arafat was in charge of the Palestinian Authority. I remember when we had prayer meetings and we easily could pray for Benjamin Netanyahu. That was, he was the first time he'd ever won that office. Man, we had tremendous time. We had two Monday evenings. Our Monday nights was our prayer meeting. We had tremendous prayer times in praying for our, our new prime minister. The next week, and I was leading the prayer meeting, I said, you know, it says that we are to pray for those in authority, for kings, for rulers, that it might be well with us. Now, we've enjoyed praying for our, our prime minister these last two weeks. But tonight, we're going to pray for Yasser Arafat. You could hear their heartbeats. This came out of, not left field, it actually came out of heaven, but it was foreign. And I told my wife, I said, babe, let's not you and I pray. Let's let them pray. Because we had already been praying for Yasser Arafat that week. Well, we waited 15 minutes of silence. I'll tell you, in a prayer meeting, <laughs> that's deafening. So I exhorted, I said, okay, can someone pray for Yasser Arafat? Let, let, let's start this out. We've had 15 minutes of silence. Now, maybe you've been praying silently, but let's pray out loud. Another 10 minutes. I can remember saying, you know, the prayer meeting's going to end soon. And we're not doing too much praying. Can anyone pray? For Yasser Arafat, our enemy. And I remember a new immigrant, actually an American, who had immigrated to Israel said, I can pray for him. And she prayed the sweetest prayer for his salvation and that God would deliver him from all the evil that he's mixed up in. And I remember closing the meeting by saying, Jesus tells us to love our enemies. And the first step toward loving is praying. Look how little we love that we even have a hard time praying for those that are not like us. And I remember I felt the Lord did give the whole prayer meeting a real challenge. I said, next week, we will pray for Yasser Arafat. And if your heart has not been softened throughout the week to be able to pray for our enemy, I want to encourage you to stay home. Because whoever comes is going to be praying for Yasser Arafat next week. And I pray that the Lord would deal with all of our hardness that's in our hearts and that we can take first steps of praying for those that are totally unlike us. The good news is that the next week, we had a capacity house at the prayer meeting. Somehow the Lord had broken through people's hearts. And man, people had studied about Yasser Arafat's teenage years, about his, his, uh, his early years, how he was abused as a child. All kinds of history came out about his life. No wonder he's so he was so twisted. 
So we had times of praying for healing, for deliverance, for salvation. It ended up being a glorious prayer meeting for our enemy. Amen, praise the Lord. So we've got to step out of our comfort zones. What should the righteous do when things are crumbling? We better pray for those that want it to crumble more. It's a challenge for us. Somehow we've got to step out of praying for our comfort zone, our children, our grandchildren, our job, ourselves, all of the things that still concern us. We have to step out and go beyond I want you to listen to the heart of the prophet Hosea. Hosea 6, verses 3 and 4. Listen to his heart. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in the early spring. Oh, Israel. Oh, Judah, what should I do with you, asks the Lord. For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. Friends, let's not allow our love, his love in us, to vanish like the morning mist or like dew when the sun starts to shine on it. Friends, I want to encourage you, let's all press in to know the Lord in this season. To know His Word in this season. Now I know we all know it to a measure. We still don't know the Word like we need to know the Word. And I pray that we wouldn't be faithless like ancient Israel and Judah. So let us secure ourselves in a solid relationship with the Lord that withstands rejection, misunderstanding, and even persecution. The time to be prepared is before it's upon us. Let us not be babes in Christ that still need milk and discerning right from wrong. And lastly, Let us be found by God as being faithful and growing in the knowledge of God, our Father, and of Yeshua, His Son. Let's pray. Lord, you really wanted to get a hold of the hearts of these Hebrews. Lord, they were in trouble. You really wanted to get the hearts of not only these Hebrews, but the Gentile Laodiceans could be comparable. They weren't hot and they weren't cold. They were somewhere in between. They weren't passionate for God and they weren't ice cold, not even wanting to talk about Him. And Lord, it's too easy for us to fit in that in-between zone. A lot of these Hebrews were weak in their faith. Oh, God, they yielded to the seduction of the world, the drive for worldly success and pleasure. Self-love was abounding. God, God Almighty, we want to put 
you and your word before us this day as we start this journey into Hebrews. We are determined to press on to know the Lord. To know the Lord. Let us press on to know the Lord. Lord, we hear that prophetic heart cry. Not only did Hosea cry it out in his day, Lord, the spirit of prophecy is calling it out today. Let us press on to know the Lord. He will respond to us. He will respond as surely as the arrival of the dawn and the coming of the rains. Lord, I pray our love won't vanish. It won't disappear. I pray that our love would grow. Look at how they love one another. Look at how they love the unlovable. God, I pray you'd help us to grow in the scriptures. Lord, and I pray we'd be found faithful, each one of us, growing in the knowledge of our God. Father, in Yeshua, you are the essence of eternal life. It comes in knowing you. So, Lord, lead us in this journey in these upcoming weeks this semester that we might know you in a greater way and love even as you loved so that Jesus, Yeshua, might be glorified and magnified to a greater measure. Amen.